hey, remember last week? Uh, we got going, and then I was like, man, there's too much stuff to talk about here. I'm just going to come back, and I'm going to do it again next week. We're going to talk about some of the same stuff. And, uh, and so we're, in, uh, we're continuing our series in Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we're at today, verses 1 through 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'm gonna, we're going to drill down on one verse today that um, I just, last week was just too much. And, you know, I'd like to stick to a schedule, and I got plans and ambitions and all these things we got to do, and it's a little ridiculous. So I decided, now we'll just go back. So let me read it to you again. And I'm going to tell you the verse that we're going to focus in on today. And um, let's listen to the word of the Lord. This is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, 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 Thessalonica. We have all kinds of variations of the way we say it here. Anyway, this is Paul writing to them. This church he loved. Remember we talked about that. Paul loved this church. He loved it. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you and through the, gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger. And all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. There's a ton of content in there. There's a ton of instruction in there. There is so much that we can put our hands on, wrap our minds around, we can talk about, but I'm going to focus on one thing. One thing only, I think, today, and it's verse 2 and 3. I'm going to use this a little bit. This is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, is what Paul says. This is the will of God, your sanctification. You know how many conversations I've had? I mean, I didn't even say that. That's a dumb way to say it. I've had numerous conversations in my lifetime to where I've been asked the question, what's the will of God for my life? It usually happens in that kind of 16 to 17 to about 23 zone where you're going, what does God have for me? What am I supposed to be doing? 
What is, what, what is, what is, what is my purpose? What, am I, what does God want from me? And you start to ask that question. And then, then you go like to a hyper-spiritual place and you say, what's the will of God? And Paul clearly answers it. This is the will of God. You're what? Sanctification. So I'm going to write this word down. Now, this is a fun word for us in our denomination because we like to use it. Sanctification. We have the Fourfold Gospel. Our founder wrote a book on called The Fourfold Gospel, and we say the phrase, Christ our sanctifier. We have uh, on the uh, stand that I knock over all the time, the podium, the lectern back there, that was made, and I do kick it over a lot. Uh, we have the labor as one of our symbols within our denomination. And this is to signify Christ, the sanctifier. Christ, our sanctifier. I want us to, to focus and, and start to talk about what sanctification is, what it's not, and, and really the desire to be set apart. And at, at its core, that's, if you were to look up what does it mean to be sanctified, what does sanctification mean? It means to be set apart. I said about four weeks ago, five weeks ago maybe now, yeah, this is week six of Thessalonians, six weeks we're in it, five weeks ago I said this, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians has two things it talks about in every chapter, holy living, blameless living, and the return of Jesus. Every chapter Paul mentions that. It's a hyper focus of his, that you need to be holy, blameless, set apart, you need to be different than the world. And Jesus is going to return. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So last week, we, I put up there to walk in holiness. And there's a couple other points to last week's message that I get, didn't get to. And it's to, it's to walk in love and to walk in, uh, I forget the other last one I wrote down, but it doesn't even matter because the point of all of this is Jesus wants us to be different, to be set apart to look different, to smell different, I say a lot, to act differently, to be wholly blameless. Sanctification is not a bunch of things. Sanctification is not salvation. It's not regeneration. Sanctification is not self-perfection. It's not this uh, idea that well, I'm going to beat myself into submission so I'm perfect. Sanctification is not morality or character development. Sanctification isn't emotion or feelings. And then those things, we can go, yeah, I, I see that, I see that, okay. I, but really, what is sanctification? It's this massive word. And sure, I can say it means to be set apart, to be holy, to be blameless, to look different, to be uh, righteousness of Christ. So what is it? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Chapter 1. Verse 30. My Bible's not working the way it's supposed to today. Look at the way this is the way Paul builds this phrase, this sentence out. And because of him. You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
When we talk about sanctification, we usually lump it into things like, I've been redeemed, and so I'm sanctified. We lump it into things like, I'm righteous, so that I am sanctified. And sanctification is this uh, mystery that we emphasize in our denomination. I remember growing up, and I joked about it a little bit ago, I grew up in a Baptist church. I did not hear the word sanctification. I didn't know, what it, I didn't know that it was a thing. And so then I go off to Crown College uh, in, in the Twin Cities area, and they're talking about this crazy word sanctification. And, and then they're anointing people with oil and saying that there's power and healing. And I'm going, what did I get myself into? This is crazy land. These people are bonkers. And as I was taught and led and forced to work through the scriptures, I started to experience this thing that they were talking about, that there is a a separation that the life of the believer has after he's followed Jesus. And so in our language here in the denomination, we say things, there's two realities, there's two experiences. As Christians, we understand the promise of forgiveness. We understand the promise of salvation. We understand the promise of, of eternal life. We can, we, we can get our brains around that. But many of us do not actually understand what happens second. It's the experience of Christ's work in us, the sanctifying work in the believer's life. And sometimes we don't even allow that to happen. And the most poignant message I heard at Crown College was that I had the power and the ability to turn off the Holy Spirit, to turn off Jesus and say, no, I don't want to take any more of that. No, I don't want to experience any more of that. No, I'm going to quench you in my life. And you can see when God is doing a work of sanctification through His Son Jesus in your life, you can see that because here's the deal, and this is one thing I want you to know. It is painful. When the Spirit of God is working on you, it hurts. You, because you have this thing that happens, it's called self-awareness. You start to look in and see that like, whoa, I am so far from the Lord. Or whoa, I can't believe I'm allowing that behavior to exist in my life. Or whoa, I am actually not that obedient. We have two realities within our Christian life, our spiritual experiences. We understand the deliverance of the penalty of sin, but do we understand in the sanctified life the deliverance over the power of sin? We get the freedom from death. We understand it. We can put our brain around freedom of death. We, we sang about it. We're free. We're free. We, under, we, we, we champion that. But in the sanctified life, do we understand the freedom to live? This is the will of God, your sanctification. When you have the encounter with Jesus and you've been freed from your sin, you feel the guilt and the shame go away. You feel that. You understand that it's backwards. It's in the past. It's something that's been covered and taken care of. But in the sanctified life, do you understand do you understand that the second reality is that we have power over the temptations going forward? 
we have a reality that we know that Christ's righteousness is in us. And we've been given those doctrinal or theology lessons to where now with Jesus in us, we have the hope of glory. And we can have a relationship with God. We're no longer separated. But in sanctification, do you realize that we have Christ's righteousness in us and it manifests itself in us? One of the first weeks I was here, I preached. I started preaching through uh, John, like way back. I mean, you realize it's, it's almost been a year since we showed up at this place. Way back, and, Je- and Jesus says this crazy thing that says, "You will do greater things than these." The Spirit of God, the power of Christ, manifesting Himself in you. The sanctifying work. We understand when we ask Jesus into our heart that he lives in us. But in the sanctifying work, the second reality, Jesus lives through us. So we speak the very words of Christ. So how do we do that? This is the will of God that we're sanctified. I'm actually using my notes today, which is rare. First of all, self-awareness. Are you aware of your life? Are you aware that, that uh, the activity, the behavior, the way in which you live, um, are you aware so much so that it's painful when you see the sin in your life to where it hurts, to where you can acknowledge it and you can look at it and you go, ouch, I can't believe I did that. When you are being sanctified, when you're being set apart, when the Spirit of God is working on you, you are aware of these things. And it becomes increasingly more painful. You feel, you feel the torment of sin. So much that you want to run and flee from it. And this isn't for condemnation's sake. This is for freedom's sake. Because many times we, we drill down into the space to where we feel guilt and we feel oppression and we feel this hurt, we feel this shame. And that's not what this is about. It's about cleansing and separating and getting distance and running far away from sin. So that you have victory over even the temptation that comes. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That the adversary, the devil, is trying to accuse us and draw us into temptation so that we'll submit to temptation. And we have the power and authority with the Spirit of God in us, with Jesus living through us, to resist that temptation. And many times we just surrender to it and we take it on the chin. And self-awareness of sin and knowing that stuff in our life actually is the beginning process of sanctification. We begin to experience deep pain. The other part is, the next step is holy. I'm going to write this stuff down because I'll, I'll forget it and then I'll forget what I'm saying. Are you aware? That was pretty awesome. I'm just going to get this down so I know it. Awareness of sin in our life. Are we wholly committed to it? Are we wholly sanctified? Do we feel it as our, in our fullness? We're going to bring up Hazel again. Hazel has been patiently figuring, trying to figure out what is going on. Why am I here? Why can't I just be in my crate at home where I love life? Look at Hazel just obediently walking down. Now, could she hear my voice? Probably. Now, we'll see what happens when she comes right next to me. Not even, she doesn't care. I want you to hand her to me. I'm going to try to do this my best. You can go back. I'll bring it back to you in a second. Hazel, come here. Hazel. So this is, 
This is an anti-illustration. And I did it on purpose because I know that she doesn't want to listen. Now, Hazel loves me. She really does. I promise she does. Our other dog, not so much. Our other dog is, is really disappointed in our behavior. But Hazel genuinely loves me. And she likes me, having me around. And, and, but she's curious, right? She's so curious to where, is she doing anything inappropriate right now? No. But if I were to say, Hazel, sit, Hazel, sit. It's exactly right. She does. Hazel, sit. Hazel, sit. Good girl. Now, with proper training with a dog, Hazel will stay, will stay there until I tell her she can go. And she should just sit there. Now, there's enough distraction and enough other things to where she's not going to be disobedient necessarily, but she so wants to go try something else out. There it is. Hazel, no. Sit. Sit. Good girl. Now, the more and more we practice this, the more efficient she's going to get at it. This is the relationship that we have with the Lord. You're the dog. I'm sorry. And we're on a leash. And sometimes that leash is a choker leash with needles in it. That really hurts. Hazel, no. Sit. Sit. Yeah, I know. This doesn't feel good, does it? No. Sit. Hazel, sit. Good girl. Don't even. The more and more we're wholly committed. Hazel, sit. The more and more we're wholly committed to having the indwelling of Jesus in us, the more we just obey. And it's not out of fear, like our other dog, Migby. He is scared to death of me. And I could yell his name on the street and he would freeze. Hazel doesn't care. She knows I love her. She's not questioning that. She has no, no like, thought that says anything other than my owners love me. But there's a part of her that is okay with us just letting her do what she wants because she's not afraid of us. Is that the relationship we want to have with the Lord? Not at all. Not even close. But we are on a leash to a certain degree. And sometimes that leash gets yanked a little bit. Hazel, no. Sit. Good girl. But as a dog, or as Hazel, we're to be trained and equipped and poured into and her trust and her obedience increase, I can take the leash off. I'm not going to do that right now, by the way. She'll just tear off, and I don't know who knows where she'll go. But have you ever seen an owner with their dog just running alongside them? Good girl. I didn't tell you to go down. You're supposed to be sitting. No. Sit. Down. Good girl. I'll go places and I'll see a person running with their dog and the dog just runs right alongside. Years and years and years and years of practice. Years and years and years of training. Years of discipline and correction and love and affection. See, dogs, like our other dog who's not here, Hazel, no. Down. Down. Good girl. Our other dog will obey out of fear. 
And as she begins to obey more and more, it's because she loves me and she just wants to please me and honor her master. And that's what happens when sanctification, my voice becomes the, authority, the authoritative voice. That happens in our, in our parenting too. And you can see it as, as it develops, the more loving and, 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 and consistent and, and all these different good things about parenting, the more your, your kids listen to your voice and you're not yelling over the distraction. And she, she's distracted right now because there's no consequence for her. Hazel down. But I promise the more and more she loves me, the more and more she'll want to serve and obey my commands. And it will become second nature to her, to where she won't feel the pressure, the stress, the distraction. She'll be holy, holy through and through, committed to my ways and the things I want from her, the things I need from her, to where I can say, Hazel, heal. Girl. And she's obedient. Paul's saying to the church in Thessalonica, this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your holiness. This is the will of God, your obedience. This is the will of God, your your love. This is the will of God, your complete attention. This is the will of God, your complete dedication. This is the will of God. And that's all part of sanctification. That's his drawing out of the follower of Jesus so that his power, his life, who he is, is living through you to where you're aware of all the things that are drawing you away from him. To where you become obedient. To where you become dependent and to where you become empowered. See, these sort of things right here become painful. It's painful when you become aware of your sin. It's, pa- it's, a, it's, a, it's a process. It hurts. It's painful as things slowly take over your life, and you have to surrender certain things. You become wholly sanctified. When you begin to be dedicated to something, it's painful. It's painful to be dedicated. It hurts. There's commitment. There's things that you have to give up. There's things that, like, what, that you just can't do. Last night, this is a, such a sad example. I really wanted to watch this fight. UFC 243. It was a great fight. But I'm very dedicated to buying a refrigerator for the new house we're buying. So I'm not going to spend the $50 to buy this fight. It was pay, like I, I was watching my phone to see what was happening because I was super, like, I want to be involved in it because I love it. I love two men jumping in a squared circle, punching each other. It is the most beautiful thing on the planet. And they're doing it out of enjoyment. They love to hit one another. They love it. But I, I'm committed, and it was painful. But you can see that stuff in your life, right? I got committed to trying to lose weight. And I, I love Wendy's. But it's painful to, like, not have Wendy's sometimes. You crave it. But once the pain starts to go away, here's what your life looks like. And I'm going to make sure I write it down right. Obedience. I'm just going to put an O because I don't want to write it all. Obedience. And then you have this other thing that happens. And That's crazy. Dependence. And then the fruit is empowered. When the pain starts to be, be shed, you become obedient. That's the fruit of how you, you're living your life out. You're, you're obedient. The sanctified life looks like an obedient life. 
And it's out of complete joy. It's out of complete love. It's out of affection towards the Father. It's out of, it's Jesus living through you. The empowerment of his life in you. And then you have dependency to where you go to bed thinking of Jesus. You wake up thinking of Jesus. You are a little freaky because all you do is think of Jesus. It's Jesus all day, all night. But you become dependent on him. Dependency is not a bad thing when we're talking about Jesus. And when those two things come, there is this empowerment that happens. And the only true, the only true source of power is from the Spirit of God. The only true source of power. So we can have a worship team that's talented and does things. We can have a, even me standing up here with this microphone talking and blabbing on and on and on. You can say, man, he, we, have a, we have a guy who's at our church and he's talented at speaking. He can talk. The only true source of power comes from the indwelling of the Spirit. Empowerment comes. That's a promise Jesus gave. He said, what? When my Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8, comes upon you, you will receive power. And the power isn't for self. The power isn't for gain. The power isn't to, to do magical things. The power isn't to cast spells. The power isn't to be a wizard for Jesus. The power is to be a witness. So that people come to know and recognize the power of Jesus, the transformed life, the obedient life, the dependent life, the empowered life. That's the real purpose of power. We use power to get gain and to manipulate and to grow something and to, and to do things that are selfish in nature. But when you've been sanctified and you've gone through this pain, you get the joy of obedience, dependence, and empowerment. And that is what transforms the the town, that's what transforms the neighborhood. That's what transforms our families and our own lives. Because we do it not for self, but we've been separated from self and been empowered by the power of Jesus Christ, our sanctifier. And so when Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, he's talking about a complete change in your allegiance. A complete change in where you're going to receive power. I mean, we, can all, we all know we have gifts and strengths and all these different things. We can do a lot of stuff in our own strength. There is an endless supply of power when it comes to sanctification. An endless supply. We will never stop being a witness when we're empowered by His Spirit because we've been set. This part stinks. I'm telling you, it hurts. It's bad. It's, it really is painful. And you can look in your own life and you can go backwards and start to go, okay, that's where that happened. Oh, I remember that moment. You guys have known us for a year, right? This is, a, this is not a rhetorical question. You can, Steve, wait for somebody else to answer first. Would you say that I lack in confidence? I don't, do I? Would you say that I lack in my own self-confidence? I'm pretty arrogant, right? Thanks, son, back there. This moment, this moment for me happened many years ago. One of the, these moments happened many years ago. It was probably the spring of 1999. I was in a brownstone in Minneapolis, 225C. Southeast 4th Avenue, 
right by Tridelt, which was the most, where I met the most amazing woman in my life. And I had this moment to where all of a sudden, I was saying things like, why am I going into ministry? What is this all about? I don't want to do this. I'm not adequate. I don't have the giftedness. I'm not special. I'm not, I'm, I have none of this stuff. I've got none of the things. None of the things that I'm supposed to have in order to do the thing that God's called me to do. And I remember laying, and Adrienne was there with me, I remember laying on the floor in my apartment where I, I slept on this futon mattress. Not even a bed, it was a futon mattress. It was like one little jump from mice. They could just go bloop. And weeping on the floor, saying, I don't have the skills, I don't have the power, I don't have the authority, I have none of this. Oh, what a wretched man I am. I can't do these things. I'm never going to be able to do these things. And feeling so lost, I was going to school with all these people who grew up in these massive churches and had all this skill and could play guitar and they looked pretty. And they, I mean, it was crazy. They had frosted tips. It was that kind of year, right? It was the 90s, late 90s, everybody. And they, and they had Doc Martens be, be when they were cool the first time. And I just didn't have it. I was this kid that didn't have it. And I didn't even want to work in ministry. In fact, when Adrienne got her job at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit, I had no interest. Adrienne found me the job at Glen Oaks Alliance Church. She hunted it down. You know where I was going to go? Wendy's. No interest. Zero. And even when I set foot on, on ground as a mid-20-year-old, work in ministry at Glen Oaks Alliance Church in the Detroit suburbs, I had no interest in preaching. I had no interest in leading. I had no interest in being an elder. I had no interest in any of that stuff. I had none because I was still working this out, and I knew the place where it started, and God was still working on me, and the, and the power of Christ working in me completely changed to where the things I love doing the most are the things I refuse to do in, in ministry. I would not, this is what I love to do the most. I love to lead the church. I love to preach. I love to hang with my elders. I love to do this. I hated it back then. Hated it with a passion. Then I became obedient, and I can't do it without dependency. And you know there's a point in each message where my voice changes, right? You ever listen to it? It's weird, and it makes me uncomfortable. But I know what happens. And I'm embracing it because I'm probably only going to have it for like another seven or eight years and then it's gone. But I'm okay. And that's what, when we become dependent, obedient, and empowered by the Spirit, he shaped, He's already shaped us to where we can be on His mission. And as a group of people, a hundred people doing that as a church, wow, that looks crazy. And that is, that's powerful. This is the will of God, your sanctification. It's part of who we are as a denomination, and it's what Paul was trying to do. And he gave some details after that. I know I didn't go much into the text. And here's, here's what uh, I had all these ideas for today, but we just didn't get there. The end of, of Romans chapter 7. The end of Romans chapter 7, um, you get a picture. You get a picture of what Paul's going through when he writes this letter writes this letter to the Thessalonican church. The end of Romans chapter 7, he says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. And you, 
you know that passage? It goes back and forth. I do this, I don't do that, and I do this, I think these, I don't do And he goes, and then he ends and he goes, what a wretched man I am. He's having the experience that he's writing about to the church. He's saying, this is the process. This is the, the struggle. This is what I'm going through. And I know this is the will of God for your sanctification. Because I know and I'm experiencing I'm what a wretched man I am. And he goes in, in uh, Romans 8.1, he says what? Therefore, there is no what? Condemnation for anybody who's what? In Christ Jesus. And then that passage becomes like one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, right? Romans 8, we all quote it, right? And it's like, we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not a thing. We are more than conquerors. But he starts that whole, set, that whole chapter out with saying, what a wretched man I am. Because I know it's painful to be shaped. And so we have that struggle, each one of us. And we're going to do it as a church together. It gets weird when elders start to point on, tap you on the shoulder and say, I think you need to think about this part of your life. I long for the days where our elders and I know you so well. And I don't care for 100 or 100,000 so well to where we can start tapping and say, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then like Paul in Thessalonians gives this list of things that they're struggling with or they're doing well, and he points them out that we can point that out in your life. How uncomfortable would that be, right? I look forward to it. <laughs> Likewise, I look forward to you doing that in my life. And I've had people already here say things like that to me in this church, which is awesome. And it doesn't make me feel weird at all. I love it. So, this is the will of God, your sanctification. 